The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, this is Ken Roshan. We are live in Atlanta, and I am so excited because if it wasn't for this weekend, I wouldn't have met this amazing guest. So I want to backtrack and talk about our sponsors because our sponsors are the people that actually connect us to these amazing leaders. So our first sponsor of the show is CEO Space International, where I met Justin Lafazan, and then he created an event called the Next Gen Summit with his partner, Dylan Gambardella. And at that event, I met... Jose Rosado, who is going to be joining us on the line momentarily. So, Jose, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Ken? Good. I'm going to just uh, inform our guest of you know, some of your background. So, you're sure. a Philadelphia native. And yes, sir. You're now residing in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And you have your own show. So, that's really cool. So, it's the Angry Millennial Podcast. And, and how yes. can people, I guess people can just type that up and find you right away, right? Yeah, it's at the uh, theangrymillennialshow.com, and uh, we're on Google Play, uh, you know, iTunes, and uh, Stitcher, and all the normal kind of uh, platforms. Okay, and uh, I understand also that you are a photographer, so that's exciting to have a, a photographer right here in Baltimore so we can get together and do some projects together. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I've noticed it's uh, it's a great mix of people down here in Baltimore. I think the only thing I have a gripe with is that in a town with so many photographers, you only have one camera store <laughs> in the <laughs> which whole one city. You, which one do you use? Uh, service Photo. Yeah, they're the best. I mean, that I don't think another photo store can really compete with them, though. I mean, if you look at their reviews, they're right. dom- they're dominating the market. I think there were probably other camera stores, but I don't think they fare too well against that amazing customer service and mm-hmm. really the honesty that they have. I've, I've gone there probably three or four times where they've told me, yeah, well, we can, let me just move this, move this thing here or fix this right here. And next thing I know, I save my, they save me 250 bucks or even sometimes as much as a thousand dollars. So they, they're impeccable with their integrity as well as their customer service. So if, if another one comes along, I'm still going to service photo. <laughs> 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 All right. So um, we, we met at the event uh, Saturday morning, if I recall. Yes, sir. And I got to take a picture of you holding the key smiling card. And then from there, we had a, a great conversation. I said, you know what? I would love to fit you in my show Tuesday. And so I, I moved some things around. And I'm so happy you were able to take advantage and also step up to the plate and, and be a guest for this week. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. Like we had mentioned when we met, it was pretty interesting. I had heard about you through the ether uh, <laughs> over the last, like, eight months, uh, randomly, very randomly in, in very random places. Like one was a, uh, I believe a Applebee's bar 
on like a Tuesday night when there was literally me and a buddy of mine and one other person at the bar all night. And we were just going there for one drink and we were talking about business and, and video and events. And as we're about to leave, uh, a gentleman who was sitting next to us who, who didn't, we didn't speak to the entire time says, you know, I heard your, your guys are creatives. And we said, yeah. And he goes, and you're new to the area. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and he's like, have you heard of the umbrella syndicate? And I was like, you mean like the, the game that was made into a movie? And, <laughs> right. and he says, no, this guy, Ken Roshan, you know, he, he's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. Da, da, da. And I remember from that thinking, wow, that's interesting. And then it was probably two other people over the course of the last eight months where your name came up again. And, uh, and it just so happened that I literally was standing there that morning at the uh, Next Gen Summit and I saw your logo on your shirt and I go, I know that logo. And then I saw your name and I go, this is the guy Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're really speaking to something that I believe in wholeheartedly. And I actually wrote a, uh, a page about ROI because ROI mm-hmm. is such a, a, a very surface conversation. So mm-hmm. if I if I talk to you about ROI, I'm really just saying how much money can I make off you or how much money can we make together? And it's it sure. doesn't really talk about impact. It also doesn't talk about what you just shared, which is that mm-hmm. you had three frequencies that I did not work at directly, but I worked at indirectly. And it may mm-hmm. have been three hundred or even possibly three thousand um actions that I took that filtered into your life in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And and I find that to be Really, uh, the tipping point that Malcolm Gladwell writes about is that you're doing all this work and you don't see an ROI or an ROE for all these efforts. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, you have enough hours, enough contacts, enough actions, enough impact that it starts to tip. And you don't do really anything different except what you're doing. But all of a sudden, you're starting to get all this massive either response or opportunity or just plain and simple abundance. So Mm -hmm. uh, I was really excited that you know, these efforts do make a difference because sometimes you are doing these things. And I, I mean, I work pretty long days. And uh, when I meet someone like you and you say, hey, I've heard about you, it actually validates my philosophy about just do good, uh, see where you can make a difference, see who you can serve and help get them where they want to be. And uh, it's an old Zig Ziglar uh, quote that if you want to be successful in life, then help others be successful. And if you help enough people become successful, then they will basically make sure you are too. Exactly. So, uh, so uh, if we had just met for the first time at the at the uh, Next Gen Summit, mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if you'd be on the show right now. No, you know? you know, and it's funny. So you mentioned something that I'm not a hugely religious person. I'm not a hugely spiritual person, but to me, it's almost not even anything like that. It's almost just common sense. If you know, you get you know, you get back what you put out, and and we were even having this conversation. My buddy Jared, who you met, uh, Jared Dykus, who's been on the show as well, and and is a great young guy. Where we talked about, um, you know, people have a bad day, right? If you have a bad day and you go into work and you let that bad day just affect your mood and your overall appearance, and and you just, you know, you're you're just really short and not very courteous to people. Well, then your day is probably just going to keep getting worse. But if you literally just kind of not not like you know not think about the bad day but realize that everyone's having a bad day and and just literally just try and smile you know and i'm not saying be fake but just you know kind of realize that you're alive and 
healthy for the most part. And, and, you know, like that's, that's good. And, um, and if you're just a little chipper, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing that maybe then someone else smiles and someone else is affected and suddenly you realize your day isn't that bad and you'll see it get a little bit better. And, you know, and it, it seems like a very, uh, hippie kind of thing to say, but it's true. I mean, if you make someone else laugh or smile during your day, even when you're, especially when you're having a bad day, you'd be surprised how much that can then contribute to you feeling better. Um, and, and I feel that way. So for me, when I go out and I meet people, I very rarely think to myself, well, what can I get from you or anything like that? To me, it's just, hey, how can I help? You know, and, and like you said, I, I never look for a direct ROI on, on anything like that. It, to me, it's just, just do good, you know, and, and, and then you'll realize that people will in turn very easily want to help you as well. And it'll all come back. Yeah, I heard someone describe it as relationship capital. You know, mm-hmm. you just you just do good and, and plant. Uh, it, it's same with a marriage, same with a partnership. When you're investing all the time in this relationship, it does come back. It's it's the person knows you care. The person knows their priority. So, uh, I w- we were talking about how your podcast and my radio show would benefit because. I'm now introducing my tribe to your podcast and hopefully mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be on your show as well. But we both know different people that are influencers and thought leaders. And right. just, just to put this really, really plain, if I had not met Justin at CEO space, that specific time that he went, then I wouldn't have obviously been invited to go to next gen summit last year. And if I didn't do the job I needed to do last year, I wouldn't have gone this year. And so there's all these uh, dots that you connect and, I'm, I, whenever I stand in front of a stage or I, I do a radio show like this, I, I connect those dots because it really is important that people understand you, this is not a 30-day trial period or even a one-year or two-year trial. It's as many times as you need to do something that you're committed to and all of a sudden mm-hmm. tips. And, right. and so I, I want to start off. We have like several things to talk about. One thing I want to sure. talk about is that I think you're going to be a very uh, pivotal part of the success I'm going to have with the Keep Smiling movement, the millennial mm-hmm. edition, because uh, as you put it at the event yesterday, you said, I'm one of the oldest people here. And you can go ahead, <laughs> you can, you can go ahead and share your age, Jose, because I mean, I, I, yeah. I need people to understand that I really was the oldest person there. No, and you know what's sad? It, it literally was. I think me and you and maybe the, the gentleman I met, the comedian friend of yours, that we were literally the oldest people in the room. Uh, I'm 32 and and I'm listening to people who are 18, 19 with funded VC, com- you know, VC funded companies uh, and amazing products, and and are literally, honestly, quite honestly, changing the world. Um, and I'm going like, holy crap! And and they're talking uh, and speaking, and I realize that everyone else in the room is a bit younger because they keep talking like they're like they're like they're wise and they're older. And one person said, "You have to have work life balance." Because when I was 16, starting my own business, you know, and I started going all in, I'm really now starting to feel the effects and I feel quite old and my body's starting to whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, man, maybe, maybe he's like 35, 34. And he, and he just laughs and goes, which is sad because I'm 23. Right. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, and, and but again, it was it was actually kind of interesting. So one of the first people that spoke um, was Kim Kim Cap. I'm probably ruining her name uh, from Zine Pack Zine Pack, and she had spoken. And when I went up to her afterward and said, you know, introduced myself and said, um, my name is Jose. I'm from the Angry Millennial. I you know I love to have you on the show. And she says, Oh, I love your card. Great name. Although I'm not a millennial, so I don't you know. But I love the Beyond. And I said, Well. 
first of all, we talked to a lot of people, uh, Gen Xers, you know, baby boomers, all that kind of stuff. But I go, if I be, may be a little forward, how old are you? Because I, I bet you're a millennial. And she goes, well, I'm 32 years old. And I go, you're a millennial. I hate to break it to you. And she's like, really? And I go, yeah, I didn't think I was either until I looked it up. And anyone from 35 to, I think, like 20 or 19 is a millennial. And, well, it, has be, uh, it has to be younger than that, Jose. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Justin is 18, so he'd, already, he'd be falling out of the millennial scene. Isn't he 18? I, I, or did, or did I, he just turn 19? He might have just turned 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, because I know then there's also Gen Y or Gen Z. So sure. I, I just know for me, it's like, from 1980 to whenever. Uh, so for me, I just know that on the, on the tail end, that I, I'm, I'm 35, I'm going to be 30, you know, if I'm under 35, I'm technically a millennial. So you made her day. Me. You made her day. She's probably oh, jumping did. up and down all day saying, yeah. I'm a millennial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and she's and, not even angry about it. You, you didn't exactly. cause her to be angry. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how could you? She's on, she's on Inc.'s, uh, what, 30 under 30, 35 under 30, like, you know, uh, just really killing it. Well, actually, I just want to talk about this summit real quick and then segue right back to what we were talking about. But sure. you know, the Next Gen Summit is considered a must-attend conference for entrepreneurs in 2016. And that's Forbes saying it. I mean, Forbes yeah. is saying this. And, and, and by the way, this is for entrepreneurs. Then, then to kind of break it down a little more, it's one of seven of the seven best conferences for entrepreneurs under 30, and that's Entrepreneur Magazine. So uh, Justin, for having an, an event that is two years old, uh, as they say, crushing it. Is that, is that a yeah. good way to? You know? <laughs> <laughs> accurate. That is accurate. You know, when I did the uh, first uh, Next Gen Summit, I, I mean, I knew I was going to go into a, a, a bit of an age difference, but it was, it was more so last year than this year. And I got there and I didn't feel out of place because I really relate. But on the other side, I, I, I don't relate completely because of the experience and, and just mm-hmm. seeing so much in life. And they, they validated, they said uh, that I have a millennial mindset. So that was, that was kind of cool. Now he had made me go. a, he made me an honorary Jew like the year before. So, I mean, it's like all these things are happening uh, that's caused by Justin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, so you're, it's, you're young at heart. You're young at heart. <laughs> I am. I am. And, and you know, I, I love working a full day and, and seeing the impact I make and, and actually coaching my son, who's only three, but I'm coaching him that what he sees is actually a role model that wants to make a difference in the world. So, you know, you, you're inspired by your parents. My dad was a, an army officer and my mom was a oh, teacher wow. and I became both. They, that's they, awesome. And, and, and although I did both for just like three or four years, they, they had enough of an imprint that I said, I want to know what my life would be like being them. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, let's talk about the angry millennial. What, what is that? Why did you pick that name? And what does the sure. show represent? Sure. First off, I want to say thank you for your service because my father was a retired army captain. So uh, I come from a big army family. Uh, so I, I definitely uh, respect that. And, and literally what you said was a, a lot of what, um, how I grew up, you know, knowing that my father was literally and still is the smartest and um, most tirelessly working guy I ever knew. He was a chemist, uh, you know, he taught and uh, he went on to, you know, go into business within the same uh, genre. So he worked in the, in the uh, oil refineries and that sort of thing and then transitioned to the business side and has had a successful career and is actually approaching retirement. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's great to hear you have a very similar story of, of having great role models in your life that you wanted to emulate. So with that said, um, so the name, it's really funny. So the name, people hear it. <laughs> the first question, so are you really that angry? Because obviously when you meet me, you realize I'm not. 
and and some people laugh and go, "What is this? Like a uh, what kind of show is it?" And I go, "Well, it's not like I'm a young Lewis Black where I'm just ranting and screaming the whole time." Although I love Lewis Black, um, I said, "No, it's it's really honestly comes down to uh, again being on the tail end of the millennial generation." I, I always sympathize more with like Gen Xers, like my, my sisters. I'm the one of uh, youngest of three. So my sister's um, 40 something. I won't even say it because she'll kill me. But she's in her 40s. Not a, not 40s. a millennial. Not a millennial. Yeah, not a millennial. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I watched her grow up in the 90s and, and graduate from Syracuse and start working her way through the 90s. And then literally it was kind of my turn. And I graduated uh, in 06. So you can imagine that it was a much different time to look for work. And then I went back to school and decided, well, let me get my MBA. Maybe that'll help. And then I graduated in 08, and it was even worse time. And it, for me, I, again, growing up with my father, who's a baby boomer, and hearing him say, listen, your job, your company comes first. You do well by them. And they'll take care of you. And that was the baby boomer generation. You know, you, you worked at one, maybe two companies. Then you, you, you put your time in, you got your gold watch, you know. And, and then you see that complete transition to now where we literally live in what's called the gig economy. Where post-recession, everybody is looking at the bottom line. Everybody is mitigating as much risk as they can. And you can't blame the companies in a sense, but when everyone, even myself, is a 1099 freelancer, it's, uh, if you like sports, it's the equivalent of playing under a one-year contract. It doesn't exactly exude confidence in what you do. So people hear millennials and we get a bad rap about how we're not committed and we're a feel-good generation and we don't, you know, we're lazy. And it's quite the opposite. I mean, we realize now the, you know, the inconsistencies with um, you know, marriage, right? We're the first generation of failed institutions, marriage, college, all these kinds of things that it's, it's a very interesting generation to look back on in a couple of years, which I'm, I'm interested to see what people think, because I sit there and say, I would love to pour myself into a company, but I worked for one for four years and I was a 10 to nine freelancer working 60 hours a week to show my worth and, you know, building 39 because I couldn't and then managing six figure campaigns for blue chip clients. And then I get laid off when we go public and I sit there and say, well, hold on. Now it's more than a technicality. I've been with you guys for four years. Now my life, I went from a single guy in the city to, uh, you know, raising two kids in the suburbs and, and after four years, it's thank you for your time. And, and I, I don't get to collect unemployment or anything. You know, and it was, it was tough, you know, it was tough to, and this was last year. So it was tough to then say, okay, don't be angry. (laughs) Don't be bitter. And, and, you know, I realized then I just had to do my own thing again, because for a long time I was doing photography full time for six years and, uh, you know, and writing when I could and that sort of thing. So when I, when this happened, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to doing my own thing on my terms And that's when I started shooting again, writing again, started the podcast and that sort of thing. And it's been been going pretty well. Well, I have several things to 
to, I guess, go back with. First of all, mm-hmm. you're not angry, but I will say this. You were one of the first people, one of the very few people, I should say, to hold that key smiling card up and not give me a smile. I had to actually almost run over and tickle you. And, <laughs> you know, But then, then you, when I threatened you with the tickle, you finally uh, yeah. broke out with a nice smile. And, yeah. and so that, thank you for the smile because now you can get in the I'm book. You know, without that smile, you really <laughs> – that, that's kind of a very serious criteria we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, the second it says thing he's is, smiling and he's not smiling. What's wrong right? with this picture? <laughs> well, the first book in the uh, celebrity edition, I show uh, that before there were smiles, people gumped, and the the term gumped is from Forrest Gump. <laughs> Just kind of looking, yeah. Go, well, I mean the blank look. I'm doing it for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the one thing I'll say about your company doing you that lovely favor of of giving you uh, a chance to blow up beyond them is mm-hmm. that winners do that. You know, if, if, if they let you go and you weren't a winning mentality or you didn't have what you're supposed to have to really take it to the next level, then you don't have anything to prove. But I think it's the best gift they could have given you because you went to, uh, you might not have gone to Next Gen Summit if you were comfortable, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always grow as fast or you don't always challenge yourself as much. And so I, I think you're the kind of guy that is going to excel and go well beyond what you would have gotten had you stayed with them. That's just a guess. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you for that. And I think from a mindset standpoint, not that I am, uh, I've been complimented with the millennial mindset. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say I know everything. So I'm going to have you help me with what you would describe millennial as. But I will say that uh, for me, they have no patience for stupidity. Um, they, have, they have no patience for the corporate culture of doing things the old way when the new way or another way would excel, make more efficiency, make more profit, and uh, make more sense. And then the last thing I'll just say is, uh, now, remember, this is me speaking as a millennial mindset. I'm not saying uh, that I understand the entire aspect of millennial. But for me, mm-hmm. I, the reason I relate to the mindset is I could never work for someone else because when I would suggest things that would make things better and they didn't listen to me, I got frustrated. And, then when I, yeah. and, and so I said, you know what, if they won't do these quote-unquote brilliant ideas, I've got to go somewhere else and try these brilliant ideas out. And the last thing is millennials are more, and, and correct me where I'm wrong, millennials sure. are more about the results instead of the time on the clock. So mm-hmm. if you work for a millennial or you are in a, in a, in a corporation that would uh, cultivate a millennial mindset, you would say, this is what I want to solve, or this is what I want to achieve, or these are the results I'm expecting. And I don't care how long it takes you to do it. You can do it in two minutes. You can do it in 20 hours. You can do it in 200 hours, but I need this done. And, and a millennial says, okay, I'm done in an hour. I'm going to go home and I earn my check for the week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and is that kind of on point? I would say so. I mean, if you think about it, 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 I think, and I'm, I'm going to be writing an article that I'll definitely let you know about when it goes up, uh, on, on why we love to hate like the young 25 year old, uh, lifestyle entrepreneurs that have come up the last few years, right? Because you sit there and say, how can someone teach me about, um, you know, having an overall lifestyle when they haven't really lived much life, you know, in their twenties. And I find it funny because in reality, which is, which is, uh, you know, true is you sit there and say, well, you know, they've grown up with this, um, you know, idea of what everything is and they're on the outside looking in. So imagine to someone who's just to say 18 to 25, them, to them, a, a smartphone is just a phone. They don't remember the house phone. They don't remember before cordless. They don't remember flip phones. So to them, it's, they're just operating at a different level, quite honestly. And what we're able to get is that they understand things that we just thought were accepted, were generally accepted. 
like the fact that you have to work 40 to 60 hours a week and be away from your family. But then when you think of um, you know, work-life balance and people realizing it's not fair to toil away for a company and have all this money and then never be home to enjoy your, with your family. So it, like you said, it's, it's definitely things are shifting. The workforce, people working from home is definitely on the rise. Um, companies are realizing that what they thought was a risk with letting people leave the office with, uh, with um, files and that sort of thing isn't exactly what they thought. You know, if you think about every person who's ever uh, leaked information from the government, they're usually someone who goes into the office every day and hates it. So it's, you know, <laughs> one of those kind of things. Well, we have a couple minutes left and I wanted to sure. just uh, hit some bullet points. So yeah. tell me some things that you walked away with that were gold nuggets and, uh, you know, just give me some of, some of them, maybe three or four. Sure. Um, for me, uh, the big thing that a lot of uh, this speaker spoke about is just patience. And I think even myself, that's the biggest thing that a lot of young people can can kind of uh, appreciate is that we're in a very on-demand instant gratification generation or time in, in our society. And that ha- hurts a lot of people because they sit there and say, if I put in the effort, why am I not getting the immediate results? And it, that just goes back to uh, the way things have always been, that things take time. You know, and, and you should be hard on yourself to, to really kind of motivate yourself, but don't be too hard on yourself and be realistic with how much time you've let the things that you put out there kind of culminate. Okay, cool. And, and you know, that goes into the principle of uh, outliers with uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell and also tipping point is that you put all this time in. If you have patience and you have persistence, really nice combination there, you typically going to achieve a success. It's just a matter of pace, like how, how quick are you mm-hmm. doing the things you need to do. Yeah, the consistency so, is important. So we have uh, two minutes before break. Tell me uh, how people can reach you on any of your bat channels. Sure, sure. Um, you can check out my photo work at Jose Rosado. So J O S C R O S A D O photo, P H O T O dot com. And on there, you can see my photo work. Uh, there's also a link to the podcast. Again, the podcast is the angry millennial show dot com. Okay, excellent. And with regard to, uh, I guess, one last part of the, the event that you went to, name off just a couple people that we could give shout outs to that really um, were, would be great mentors for millennials or, or people that want to actually take their business to another level. Sure, sure. Uh, again, uh, Kim Cap. If I'm if I'm ruining her name, I'm so sorry. Uh, I think it was K A U P E. Uh, was great. Gerard Adams, uh, who was the co-founder of Elite Daily, which obviously any millennial knows about, um, was a great speaker on Sunday that I had the uh, opportunity to meet and, and chat with. So definitely, those two are some amazing people that I think can really help out with uh, with the younger generation. Okay. Well, again, a big thanks to. Justin Lapazan and Dylan Gambardella for actually creating Next Gen Summit. We met our guest today because of that, and it just goes to show you when you step out of your comfort zone and you go to an event, you can meet extraordinary people. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. How is your marketing going? Really? Mm-hmm. Not so good. What could you be doing wrong? You spent a lot of time and money on your marketing, trying to follow what other successful people are doing, and yet your business marketing plan is still coming up short. Try something new. Tune into Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing with host Jackie McClinigan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It just might work for you. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network this is amplify to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 we also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrella syndicate.com now, back to Amplify. Okay, we are back for the second segment. This is Ken Roshan, and we are live in Atlanta, and we are with Jose Rosado. And man, he's been giving us some really cool insights. He is a multi-talented person, and uh, he's, got a, he's got his own podcast that's doing well. He's got a master's degree. He's an entrepreneur. He's a writer. And I was just uh, sharing with him during the break that I have a, a book coming out. And, and since he just mentioned he has kids and Father's Day is around the corner, I would love to hear some of his insights about being a, a father and, and what that means to him and also just what his father taught him. And uh, Jose, before I have you interject some stuff, I just want to say that I, I said to myself last year during Father's Day, I said, I gave my son a book of how he tickles me. Basically, he does these things, and I take a picture of him, and then I write this caption of what I think he's thinking. And I made this book called Kitty Captions, and I had it uh, translated in Spanish. So it was my first bilingual book. And when I was done with it, I said, you know, that book is all cute and humorous, but that really is a book about how he brings joy to me. Mm-hmm. I want to make a contribution to him. So I decided, you know, I'd write, a, I'd write this book before the next Father's Day. And here it is a week away from Father's Day. And I just literally finished the book at 10 o'clock today. But here's the, here's the kind of weird thing is I started the book last Saturday. So I did it in eight days. Uh, put in, wow. I don't know if I put in 100 hours, but pretty, pretty close to 100 hours. I pulled a lot of all-nighters. And it really came down to if I didn't get the book uh, print file to the edit, uh, to the printer today. There wasn't a book for his birthday on the eleventh, and there certainly wasn't a book for next week for uh, Father's Day. So my, the idea was, if I was to leave the earth, who's talking to my son? And mm-hmm. if I had a book that said, "This is what's important to me," and I just picked a hundred things that are important to me, and just wrote a, a paragraph and found a quote that kind of uh, 
symbolized what that message was. So I invite you, first of all, since you're a father, a writer, and a, a person who really cares about family, to send me uh, outside the show some ideas that you would have about a, a father-son bond and creating a legacy. So tell me sure. what you learned. Tell me what you learned from your father that really made a difference, and you can you can give a couple examples if you'd like. Sure, sure. Um, so a lot of, you know, when I, when I talk to people and they hear about my dad, right, and you hear, as you probably did, where you're, you're, when your parents is in the military, you sit there and say, oh, man, it must have been like, you know, a drill sergeant type dad with rules and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and in reality, that wasn't the case. Um, for you. you. <laughs> for, for me, right, for me. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, and I think it was a lot of, even early on, I knew that it was my, the like, way my father was with me was in a direct effect because of the way his father was with him. And so my grandfather, you know, was also in the army, uh, served in Korea, and, you know, was, was a very um, loving but uh, emotionally kind of stoic uh, kind of guy. But he was, you know, he was always there for my father to give him life advice, and and he was a very practical guy. He provided for his family. He worked long hours, and and he was he was, you know, just a very uh, old school kind of guy, if you will. So my father was essentially that. He's a baby boomer. So he 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 was big on you do your job, you provide for your family, you give them a life better than the one you had, and you give them as many opportunities as possible. Now. For that, your personal, uh, let's just say, gain or happiness, whatever, kind of goes to the to the back seat to your family. And again, that's something that um, you know of that generation was very very typical. So when I was growing up, um, you know, we 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 were very winner well off, you know, a middle class upper middle class family, and and it was you know but at the same time i knew because of the way my my father was with me uh, i never took anything for granted i never took anything um that we had that was you know essentially kind of like uh, we had it too good and i had friends and we grew up in places that they did you know I, and i never understood it you know the way kids were with toys or the way they were with their you know getting older with their cars and all that kind of stuff i just never understood it and it was for me one of those things that if people asked me is my dad hard on me and i would say yeah of course you know as he should be and you know i would i would laugh like one of the things i used to do growing up that used to bug him was I would just give him hugs, right? I'd give him big hugs. Like he wasn't a big hugger. And, <laughs> and literally he'd always be like, ah, oh, come on, come on, come on, get off me. But at the same time, I always say, I never ever for one second didn't know or think that my father didn't love me. And, and I sit there and say, as he wasn't very affectionate, and I can literally count on one hand the times I've seen my father cry my entire 32 years on this earth. Uh, I knew that the way my dad did other things, you know, the way he would take me out to baseball practice, he'd take me out to the batting cage. And when I played football, he'd, he'd go out and, you know, throw me passes, even though I wasn't even a receiver, just so I could work on stuff. And, and, and he would do all these things. At the end of the day, when, as, I'm, as I'm, like, I'm older now with my own kids, I sit there and say, like, that was not easy, you know? And I remember those things. And recently, I had the you know privilege that my son started playing baseball. You know, he just uh, just turned eleven years old, and he started playing baseball in the last two years. And when my father came for Mother's Day, my parents came to visit in Maryland. Me and my dad and my son Riley went to the batting cage, 
And literally, we had one of those moments that I'm, <laughs> I'm mirroring my father because he had a very short fuse growing up, <laughs> losing it on me because I just, I just stopped trying and stopped caring. And we had like almost like a little mini meltdown. You know, my son was starting to get upset and, and, and <laughs> you know, and get teary. And I said, listen, you know, you have to remember like when, when people, me, Ito, you know, his grandfather, I go, or the coach, when people take their time out of their day to help you and, and help you practice and work on stuff, all we ask, all we ask is that you give it effort. You know, I don't care if you're the worst player on the team. I don't care if, you know, you are the worst player on the team. If you hustle and you give effort, um, I'll be ecstatic. And I just love watching you play. And I said, that's all I ever ask. And that's why I think team sports are, are important for younger kids because it helps them develop like, you know, character and team building skills and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and even if you stink, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. It's, it's a matter of can you uh, realistically just learn that it's, you know, there's other people other than yourself that you have to f- fight through things that stink and aren't fun. And, you know, that that's also part of having um, priorities, you know. So I tell them, you love going to games, but if you want to get better at hitting, you got to put in the practice, you know, and that's where they kind of get lost. And that's how I was growing up, realistically. And it was so funny because literally as it's happening, I'm laughing and I look at my dad and he's laughing and I go, you don't realize how much I feel like my father right now, Riley. I'm like, we're literally... I'm sure I'm sure Ito is having a getting a kick out of this because he looks at me and probably sees himself and he looks at you and sees me as a little kid. And it it, it just to me that was kind of neat, you know. And and I you, you said it. It's only when you truly become a parent yourself that you sit there and say, um, you know, it 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 wow, like my parents were right. And you start seeing, you know, the same things that your parents do and did and that kind of thing. And you really start to have a, appreciate a true understanding of why they did the things they did or why they were the way they were. And, you know, just to put it out there and clarify, I'm actually a stepfather. So these are the two kids, uh, uh, um, Lyric and Riley, a boy and a girl, uh, 11 and nine, are my girlfriend's kids from a previous marriage. And, you know, I always, people always ask me, you know, how come you don't say they're your stepkids? And I go, because that's a dirty word to me. It's like, what's the point? You know, if I'm in their lives and I've been in their lives almost five years now and I've, I've seen them grow up and I've helped raise them. And to me, it's like, you know, they're my kids. Now, if anyone clarifies and asks me, I don't know, they have a father, you know, um, and, and he's still around, you know, he, we split, you know, we have a majority of the time and he gets them on the weekends, but you know, I tell people like, no, they're my kids, you know, because guess what? They live with me. I, I cry with them. I do homework with them. I laugh with them, you know, and I impart as much as I can that I learned from my parents onto them. So in that sense of the word, I, I'm a parent, you know, and it's, um, you know, and it, it, it's something that people hear and they kind of have like a, an opinion either way about it. And, uh, and I say, no, I go, that's just my personal opinion. I, I, I think step kid is just sounds dumb, you know? Um, but it, it definitely is one of the things where I sit there and say, I know for a fact I'm hard on them. And, uh, me and my girlfriend, my girlfriend's a nurturing one and I'm more of the disciplinarian. And I tell her, I go, that's fine with me because that's the way my father was. And, and I knew even though my father was hard on me, I knew he loved me. 
And I make sure to always say that when I'm hard on the kids and I discipline them, I tell them, listen, you know why you got punished, you know what happened, you know what you did wrong. And then I always follow up with, and you know, I love you. And because I think that's really important because as kids get older, you sit there and think, well, they just know the times you yell at them or the times you get upset or the times they, they screw up. And, you know, and for me, I see that when I think back on my childhood, you know, I know all the times my dad blew up on me. I know all the times I did stuff I wasn't happy about or proud of and, and I got in trouble. But at the same time, I also know all the time we went to NASCAR and IndyCar races together and we'd go to sports together and he'd spend time with me at the practice and take me places and take me to clinics and camps and all that kind of stuff. And, and then as I got older, you know, when you're in a teenager and you're just literally by no means of anyone else, you're just in your own self. We didn't hang out a lot. And when I was in college, we didn't hang out a lot. And then it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties, like most people that I started developing that relationship again with my father. And suddenly we started getting the cycling together and we started going on rides together on the weekends. And we started spending more time together and doing, um, you know, going to the bike shops and, and having that sport and that little hobby to kind of, collaborate with on and it was amazing and i can honestly say that in my 30s i i, I love hanging out with my parents you know they're, they're my best friends you know uh, i don't get to see them as much as i'd like but at the same time we make sure that every time we're together we make the most of it well you know when this book comes out next week i mean we got <clears throat> i have the uh the one coming out this week and then i have some people that are uh, gonna that sent me some stuff after went to press so you'll be one of those people that do that and sure. i can get you a copy of the book and you can give it to your oh, dad for Father's Day. That's pretty cool. I think it? that'd be great. That'd be great. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, uh, anger has lots of components to it, but uh, one of the components I, I, I'd like to address is that it's about caring. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. not, it, it's not angry just to be angry. It's that when mm-hmm. you are so involved in your son or your daughter's upbringing and they do something that could be dangerous or something that's going to hurt them a lot and you get angry because you just don't have another way of really conveying, conveying that emotion and then afterwards you apologize but you lose it because you don't want to lose them and mm-hmm. then, uh, the other thing you said is you know uh, there's a lot of quotes there's almost 100 quotes in the book and one of the quotes I remembered is anyone can be a father only this, the exceptional can be a dad Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, the strictness, I, I did want to say my dad was strict as hell too. So when you started that comment about you know, <laughs> the, the drill sergeant, my dad was, he was a, a lieutenant, I think at the time, uh, a captain when I, I went to baseball. So you, you brought up, so you triggered some emotions, but my, <laughs> my dad, my dad uh, says, yeah, you want to play a sport? Okay. Uh, we'll put you in baseball. And I, I thought that was a pretty cool, but I absolutely hated it after two weeks because they put me in the catcher position and oh, my, nice. hands, <laughs> yeah, my hands were swelling up and I was being uh, thrown fastballs by the coach. And so I quit and my dad said to me, you know, I'm never signing you up for another sport again. And man, that's, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan thing that you were talking about before about it doesn't matter if you're the worst in the team and mm-hmm. you know, at least make sure that you're encouraging your child. And my dad did kind of the opposite of that moment. But on the other side, I wanted to prove to him I'd never quit again. And I didn't, I mean, every mm-hmm. single thing I did at that point, And I would, I would always do things to impress him because I really felt I let him down at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then the other thing I just want to share with you is we, we all say the same thing when we uh, do finish college or when we become a parent. It's like our parents get so much smarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You sit there and say, oh man, I know this is karma, but man, I'm so sorry for all the things I did when I was a kid. And now I totally get it. It's, it's too funny. It's perfect the way it happens. Well, I want to leave some time for one of the reasons I even brought you on the show, which we're saving, I guess, for the end, the last uh, 15 minutes or so, is sure. your, your podcast. So um, <laughs> one thing I really appreciated about what you shared with me Saturday is that you have a really 
unique way of interviewing and getting <clears throat> the unorthodox or the, uh, the, uh, the emotional side of people that don't typically get emotional because they're so big and they've done so many podcasts, radio shows that they just have kind of their canned song answers. And so mm-hmm. I would love some advice from you on the air and for those people that are listening and thinking about doing a podcast or thinking about doing sure. a radio show. How do you make your show different, unique, and also that you connect with your, uh, your guests so much that they actually open up? Give me some examples, some questions, stories, and people that you've had on your show. So you ready for this? I'm going to give you a really the shortest, quickest answer possible, and then I'm going to elaborate. You ready? Cool. The best way you can differentiate yourself and get your guests to open up, quite simply, is care. And by that, by saying care, I mean... No, that's it. That's it. Okay. It was yeah. great having you on the show, Jose. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that was my... That's my... I don't yeah. care about care. Yeah. yeah. That was just... Yeah, that was exactly. <laughs> so, right, go caring. Yeah. So, caring uh, is, you know, just... just uh, the way I look at it is everyone... And I'm sure a lot of people do this, right? When you have your own show and you start your own podcast... It's yours. You, you, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent yours. So you can do with it whatever you want. So if you pick your niche and you say, okay, I want to go to X direction. All right, great. Well, if you pick it, I hope you're passionate about it, which you should be because otherwise you're not going to stick to it. But you're then going to do what? You're then going to reach out to people who you genuinely respect, who you genuinely admire, and you're probably a fan of their work or what they do. So if that's the case, you know, be think of it as you're a consumer of their content first and that's why i do it so i know when i'm having someone on it's because i genuinely like what they're doing and what i do is when i start crafting my interview and my questions i i ingest every piece of content i can i'll watch every interview i'll read every every article i'll i'll watch every video i'll do whatever i can to know as much about their story but also, like you mentioned, to see how many people are asking them the same questions. Because like we know, let's just take photographers, for instance, since we both are photographers. How many times are you asked, what do you shoot with and who's your inspiration? I mean, let's be real. Like, it's, 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 those are kind of pointless questions. Yeah. Because if a person's been interviewed more than once, you can just Google that and find it. And if you, again, on the flip side, being, being a person who's a fan first... If you know that person, you know those answers already. So if you hear you get another interview asking the same, you know, three, four, five, whatever questions, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn it off. So what I do is I make sure that a lot of the questions we ask are different. And, you know, so, so when I, I usually, my format is like three quarters of it is really getting into it, asking the hard questions, asking, um, you know, the different questions and, and making it a very laxed, it's, it's an hour long, so it's long format and it's explicit. So you can, you know, you can kind of like really be laid back in a sense and curse and do whatever you want. So because of that, people are able to, you know, kind of let their hair down, if you will. And then when I get to the last like quarter, last like, you know, four or five questions, they're standard. So, uh, you know, they're ones where I say things like, you know, what's your biggest fear? You know, what, what's your biggest regret? What was your, what was your most meaningful moment in your career? Because at that point, what I'm doing is for the three quarter, the beginning of the interview, I'm literally getting to know them. We're having a great time and I'm, I'm, I'm warming them up. Right. So then when I get to that point, they, their answers are, and I quite honestly, I share with some of them with you and I'll share them again, are mind blowing. You know, um, 
we had Peter Hurley, who's a, a very big, uh, prominent uh, headshot photographer in New York, travels around the world. I've known him for years, thought I knew a lot of his story. When I asked him that question and I said, you know, what's your biggest regret? He, he just kind of, he took it in a complete different direction than I thought. He says, well, let's see, I've been in this studio now probably about seven years. And my parents have came to visit and been in here probably four or five times. And I've never once asked my, my mom, hey, well, why don't you go stand on, the, on the, you know, the backdrop and I'll take your photo. So I've never taken a nice photo of my mother. And she passed away last year. And I'm sitting there like, oh, man, you know, and, and Peter's only probably 10 years older than me. And so our parents are about the same age, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I've been shooting for 10 years and I've never taken a nice photo of my parents. And, and literally after that moment, we all kind of looked around and, and, you know, I sit there and said, my co-host, uh, uh, Steve, you he's a photographer as well. And he goes, I haven't either. And we all just sat there and he, and Stevie just goes, does anyone else feel the urge to like just call their parents and cry right now? You know? And, and it was true. I mean, and then I have another one with uh, a comedian, Mickey Coachella, who's a big uh, radio personality here in, uh, in Baltimore, 98 rock. And, you know, he's, he's traveled, you know, he's well-traveled in terms of being a comedian and, uh, and a, a host and that sort of thing. And he tells the story, what was the most meaningful moment in your career? And he tells the story of his first HBO uh, special, and that at the time his mother became very suddenly very ill, and she was in the hospital. They didn't know when she was gonna make, if she was gonna make it. Uh, she very unfortunately had her hands and feet amputated, and the producers, unbeknownst to him, reached out to the hospital, and you know greased the wheels, reverb uh, wheels, and uh, when. If you can imagine, HBO is a big production. So when he goes out on stage, there's you know the jib and the crane, all this stuff, and he looks up, and there's his mom in a wheelchair, wa- you know, watching the show, mm-hmm. and they put a spotlight on her, and he just he just goes, "Wow," you know, like it was a surprise to him, and he goes, "At that moment, I was so happy." that my mom was able to experience my, the, you know, the pinnacle of that point of my career. And that after that, the entire show, it was just me and my mom. He said, literally all I did, was, it was just, and no one else was even in that, in that room. It was just me and my mom. And unfortunately his mother since has passed, but you know, he tells me, he goes, I'm so happy that she was able to make it and able to see me perform and able to be there. And Mind you, the people that I'm talking about, if anyone knows who I'm talking about, Mickey Coachella and Peter Hurley, they are two of the most loudmouth, goofball, animated people you can ever meet. And to hear these guys say that is, it was a lot, you know? And, and I sit there and I'm like, thank you, you know? Like, thank you for feeling comfortable enough and being open enough that that's your answer, you know, because so many times you can sit there and just, get, again, like you said, give a, a, a nice canned song and dance and just think that's enough. But they're able to really kind of share very intimate stories like that. And, and I, it's, been, it's been amazing. So I'm just going to make that actually a, a question on my Facebook and for the, uh, the show is that when you're with your father this uh, Father's Day, take an opportunity to get that nice picture. But more importantly, if you can't, hire someone to. I mean, that, that 
picture will bring back tons of memories. And as uh, a lot of father figures are in a, in a household, they're the ones who have to play the bad guy. They're the ones that have to, you know, be strict. They're the ones that have to have the accountability, the discipline, because moms, uh, not that they aren't that, but that's not their role necessarily. They're the ones who really create more of the sensitive, uh, heartfelt, empathetic aspects of, of who you are as a person. So mm-hmm. that was that was brilliant that uh, you brought that up because I actually, I have a lot of pictures of my dad and myself, but they're not recent. They're we need to update that. And, and it really, every year you should be taking pictures that really memorialize the relationship you have, just so you don't have those regrets. So yeah. I am going to actually, uh, I'm going to steal some of those lovely questions from you because we still have a little bit of time. We have a couple minutes. So, um, so I would actually like to ask you uh, sure. e- either the, the fear or the regret one, which just pick one or the other or see if you can combine it because I want to ask two more questions. Which, what do you um, fear or regret the most? I think the biggest thing I fear is... For a lot of us, it's um, for a lot of us, it can be you know the the fear of no longer being relevant, right? I mean, a lot of what we do depends on other people enjoying it, whether it's photography or you know a show or anything like that. But I think more so, it's um, I think my biggest fear is disappointing my family, you know, and uh, and and knowing that even if I'm not successful. Just like I told my son, if if they see me trying every day and they see me going out and, and hustling and doing the things I have to, that they're at least proud of me. And uh, while I may, may sometimes it may not uh, look that way on paper in terms of uh, whatever your idea of success is, uh, as long as they're not disappointed in me, I'm, I'm happy. Okay. And to go into that, what is your proudest moment? My proudest moment? Hmm. I would say the proudest moment of my career. I would honestly probably say, you know, graduating, graduating, graduating grad school, you know, because I was never a good, a good student growing up. I was never expected to amount to much. And people were shocked that I even went to college. But when I went to college, I realized uh, I like school and I ended up graduating with honors. And it wasn't without a lot of mis- missteps. You know, I got in a car accident. I, I transferred. I lost credits. I took, you know, summer classes, two summers in a row, classes on winter break, 18 credits my whole senior year, all to graduate on time and with honors. And then I went on to grad school and did the same thing. And I worked, you know, a full-time job at a studio and I worked, you know, I went to school full-time and worked at a club on the weekend and I did that for two years. And at the same time, if I sat here and said, did, did it necessarily pan out in terms of uh, my career afterwards, you know, finding work and getting a job and everything else? Probably not, but I will never, ever regret uh, the education and the stuff that I worked very hard for. All right. So say something in 30 seconds to your, your kids as a father. Hmm. That I may be hard on you. That at times it may seem like I'm too hard, but you have to know that I do it because I love you and that I do it because I can't wait to see you grow up into the beautiful young man and woman that you guys are. You're very smart. You make me laugh every day. And I am so happy that you let me in your life. Well, thank you. That was a refreshing, uh, nice uh, twist to his show and I'm going to add a lot of this to my shows in the future so thank you Jose you brought a, a whole new dimension to being amplified and you are a leader and I want to thank you for being on the show if, again if you could just tell people real quickly how to get a hold of you 
Sure. Uh, you can see my photo work at joserosadophoto.com. That's J-O-S-E-R-O-S-A-D-O-P-H-O-T-O.com. And you can check out the podcast at theangrymillennialshow.com. Jose Rosado, you have been amplified. Thanks for being on our show, and I look forward to having you and your guest on in the future. Have a great right. Father's Day. Thank you, Ken. You as well. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page.